Guys, I want to thank the following sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com, my friend Cody Nelson of 25 plus years. I call him the glassing guru. He's the optics authority. He's the optics manager at GoHunt.com gear shop. If you guys have any interest in purchasing optics at all or have any questions, give Cody a call directly at 702-847-8747. That's extension 2. You can also email him directly at optics at gohunt.com or call him or text him on his cell phone, 602-399-3699. I want to thank GoHunt Optics Department uh, for their sponsorship of this podcast. I also want to thank the GoHunt Insider. Remind you guys that if you go to gohunt.com forward slash Scott, you're going to get a $50 GoHunt Gear Shop gift card just for signing up. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. You can find out more about Kuyu, which is the gear that I wear on all of my uh, hunts. Uh, I also wear it on my fishing trips. Uh, pretty much everything I wear you can go to k- their website, which is kuyu.com, K-U-I-U.com uh, to find out more. It's also a direct-to-consumer website, so you won't find this in any retailers. You can order directly off the website. Go to kuyu.com, K-U-I-U.com. Uh, phonescope.com, use the JScott20 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount on all orders. Guys, I also want to tell you about a new sponsor of the podcast, Kyle Lynch, who is also a former Army Ranger who served with the 2nd Battalion, the 75th Ranger Regiment in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, Kyle has also been a deputy sheriff and volunteer firefighter, and he is really involved on the tactical side. Uh, He is actually co-owner of a company based in Georgia uh, called Armageddon Gear. Uh, They do a ton of stuff that serves the military and commercial tactical and competitive shooting markets. Uh, But he has designed a really cool elk call carrier, and he's launched a new website called allelk.com. Uh, go check out the Bugle Mule. The Bugle Mule is a mouth call, elk call carrier uh, that is, um, he's made it where it fits right out on the outside of a bugle tube. It carries up to three calls. Uh, go check it out at allelk.com. For a limited time, the J. Scott Outdoors uh, podcast listeners can get a 10% discount there at allelk.com. Uh, put in the promo code JSO10 for 10% off. I want to thank allelk.com. I want to thank Kyle for his service to our country. And I want to thank him for the sponsorship of this podcast. Guys, without these podcast sponsors, uh, I wouldn't be able to put the amount of time that I do into this. Uh, so I want to thank them and I want to thank you. Let's get right into the episode. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have a special episode with a good friend of the podcast, Chris Rowe of Rowe Hunting Resources. Chris, how are you doing? Doing all right, my friend. How are you? Doing pretty good. You know, we've um, had you on for a turkey episode and two elk episodes, and uh, guys keep uh, sending me messages asking for more, and I uh, thought I'd have you on again. We're uh, getting pretty darn close to um, elk se- archery elk season starting, and thought it would be a great opportunity to have you on the podcast again. And I just uh, was on Row Hunting Resources in the elk module, and uh, watched uh, several of the new videos. One was uh, very, very uh, gut-wrenching, uh, the High Country Redemption showing your season last year. And 
um, you know, to watch the highs and lows and, and the ups and downs. It's something that all of us that have hunted have been through. And I thought you captured, uh, the essence of the hunt and the essence of the situation, uh, you know, you just, you captured it perfectly. And it, the crazy thing is you were all by yourself and you were able to capture all of that, um, you know, the true highs and lows with the, with the lows being the lowest of lows. And, um, that was, that was kind of an amazing hunt. Um, I, I really appreciated you posting that. And, you know, it's, it's not often that we see, uh, on, on YouTube or on hunting shows, um, those low points. And the reality is, as hunters, it's something that we all face. And, and, you know, the, the people that have not faced it yet, they're gonna, um, they just have to hunt, hunt long enough. Um, and so I think a lot of people will be able to relate to it. Yeah. And, and for those that haven't watched it yet, it, yeah, it's in the elk module, but basically, and actually, it was my 2012 hunt. It was a, it was kind of the. I've been sitting on it for a while because, like you said, I mean, it's not something that's that's fun to watch. And it, for those who haven't seen it, I guess let me just kind of take a step back. Yeah, I, I shot this bull 11 yards. I thought the shot was perfect. I mean, it's 11 yards. Come on, it's 11 yards. And he was walking past me. I stopped him. He was court. He he kind of went by me a little bit. And I knew he was quartering away, and I shot, and I thought I smoked him. I thought I put it right straight through his lungs and basically caught the offside leg because I went and found my arrow, and you know it's covered in bubbles. You know, it's covered. It's you know it's passed through, so arrows covered in blood. But there's bubbles all over the veins and all over the arrows, and so in the arrow, and I'm thinking, oh yeah, double lung hit. He's toast. And he, you know, he runs down the hill and then stops. And, I, and he, where he stops, I can't get another shot into him, but he stops and he just stands there. And he stands there and he stands there and stands there. And so, like, minutes go by and, I, and I'm, it, yeah, every second that the clock ticks, now I'm like, something is not right. He should be just piled over. Well, the whole second half, you know, the first half of the video is very uh, consistent with the instructional stuff that we do on the module. It, it, there's a lot of instruction in, you know, why I'm where I am, how am I doing it, why am I doing it, why am I calling this way, and et cetera, et cetera. By the way, that was a textbook call-in. I mean, um, you know, yeah. you were dictating the pace, you were waiting on him, you weren't over-calling. Uh, I thought, you know, I love how you just let the camera run so people can actually realize the timing yes. because yes. I think I think so much there's so much out there on how to call elk, but the reality is there's not a lot in the timing. And I think one of the things that I picked up and not to get off the subject of what we're talking about, but I, I really like the fact that you let that bull think about it. You let him think about it and then he finally hits you and then you kind of answered back a, a, a little bit, you know, with, with, with some emotion. And, but to see that textbook call in with the little, um, the few amount of calls that you actually gave was, was pretty cool. Well, and, and I thank you. I mean, because it, it is when I'm sharing the video and you kind of just touched on it, what you see on TV, on the outdoor, outdoor channel or, or sportsman channel or whatever, you, you've got, what is it, 23 minutes, 22 minutes or 23 minutes of footage that you've got to pack in and it, you can't think around. So you're just, you're just touching the highlights, bam, 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 bam. And so when you see somebody call in an elk, you're, they're usually, here we are, we set up, we made some calls, ooh, the bull bugled, now he's in front of us, ooh, we killed him. 
Well, yeah, but that may have just taken you 10, 15, 20, however long it took. And so there's a balance on what you show and how you show it. And one thing that I've, you know, I, I learned pretty quickly. Well, I guess I can't say I learned. I, I just committed to it. The time that lags in between me making a call and maybe the bull answering or between me making a call and the bull actually coming in, I think is important for people to see because that shows you that, yes, you do need to have some patience in letting setups work. Now, there's some videos I show, uh, like the 108 video and the strategies and actions that, yeah, I mean, literally within six minutes, I located the bull and the bull was seven steps in front of me. I mean, it was just bam, right now. However, you know, this one and some of the other ones, I mean, it, it takes, you know, 10 minutes for that. I mean, I'm, I'm, Within a hundred yards of him, he's probably you know eighty yards from me at this point. You know when he first when I first started calling, it takes some time. Well, showing that there's a lot of there's a lot of educational benefit from that. But by the same token, you're you're sitting there watching a bunch of nothing happen for eight minutes or ten minutes or whatever. But you but that's why I put the commentary in there. Okay, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. This is why I'm patient. This is why I'm letting this work up. You know, we're, we're, let this setup work a little bit. Okay, the bull just did this. This is what he's thinking. Okay, so there's a lot of ed education to it. And, and there, you know, I was worried when I first started that people would not appreciate the length that I allow the camera to go. But what I've got, what I've received as feedback is that is why people absolutely love it because now they get to see exactly what I see. I don't edit. The only time I edit stuff out, 99.9% .9 of the time, the only time I edit stuff out is if I am moving from one point to the other and it's just random just movement. There's nothing. Okay, I'm making my way closer to the bull. Well, and a lot of times too, you'll give a time lapse of okay, five minutes yep. has expired, yep. or ten minutes, or I just got over here in thirty seconds. Yep. So, yep. you know, I, I I think it's very important for people to understand that guys that are successful at calling, whether it be elk or turkeys, that it does. You don't just make a call and they just run in. Sometimes that happens, yep. but most of the time you have to finesse and you have to work those animals and I think what's I like so much about the strategies and actions the videos is it's it's taking a real life situation and you're playing the whole thing so so if you watch all the different videos you kinda get a sense of okay that one was quick okay that one uh, you know took longer and I think it gives people a more realistic view of actually how the guys that consistently call stuff in how they how they handle it if 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 you just heard an elk bugle and the next thing you know, which I got to be honest, most of my videos, I just show the elk coming in when they finally, you know, made their approach and and are, are coming right in. I just cut right to the, yeah. you know, cut right to the chase. But the reality is, from an educational standpoint, the timing is. I believe as important as the sounds you're making. Uh, and absolutely, absolutely. I I think too many people uh, expect it to happen right now, and oh, he's not coming, and boom, they're off. You know, either going at him, you nail, and they walk right into him, yep. or they you know leave and think that bull is not worth going after. I think people need to realize that most elk don't just come running over, just like. Uh, when your wife calls at you, most of the time, you don't just, I mean, jump up and go running over. Yeah. Or if your buddy calls you, you know, you're going to, 
you're going to work your way that way, but you may also, you know, stop and grab your french fries off the counter or grab a drink or whatever. Yeah. Just like the elk, you know, they may be going, okay, I'm going to go over there and see that cow, but I'm going to get a few more blades of grass here and, you know, oh, by the way, I got to get a drink and oh, I got to take a leak and I'm on my way. Or in, in uh, like I show in the video, the Shiner Bowl, you know, originally I got that, that whole sequence um, and I thought it was pretty boring until I kind of took a step back and watched it. I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah, it's not a sexy call-in, but what it showed was how, because it was open and the way that the train was, you could sit and watch the bull and what he was doing. The bull was interested. He knows where I am, but he just stands there and he looks and he's waiting to see the cow that he hears me calling. He's waiting to see the cow move. He's waiting to see some action. And what you you just said, that people move in too quick, and I totally agree with that because there's i mean again there's a lot of emphasis on aggressive tactics people want to go 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 okay well that's fine but keep in mind that you may make a vocalization and whether he bugles at you or he doesn't if he hears you and if you i mean if you've been loud enough and he hears you 99.9 percent of the time he's going to pick his head up he's going to be staring in your direction he's going to have his ears locked he's going to be looking and listening and it's incredible if you didn't sit and watch these videos it's incredible to see some bulls just how long they stand and wait. And so having the patience to let the setup work is crucial for at least in my in my opinion, for my success, how I do things, that that's crucial. And that's why I kind of let things run as long as they run. But, you know, to kind of bring it back to what we you know where we started, you know, those that section of the hunt, you know, when you find them, you call them, and you bring them in, and you kill them, yay. That's the fun, awesome part. But for this particular video that you're talking about, the whole second half of that video, I, well, to be honest with you, that's it's 2012. I've sat on it for three years. Why? Because I didn't know if I wanted to share it. I mean, it, it's not, I mean, I, I'll, I'll tell people, I broke down. I just, I, I kind of lost it for a little bit. I mean... When you're saying the low of the lows, I mean, for 16 hours, you know, trying to pick a part of a mountain and sitting there waiting and second-guessing myself and trying to figure out what's going on, and then I think I found him, and no, I didn't, and then I, you know, run the mountain. I, oh, here it comes. Oh, I did find him, and oh, geez, now what am I going to do for the next 15 minutes, and how am I going to make this happen? And then all of a sudden it happens, and then, uh, it, it was. It was an emotional roller coaster, and I, and I really, I mean, it's not that's not something that you normally show, but I... I was going. Uh, let me let me just say this, Jay. I was going to post it for the module guys, and I, I think I had gotten myself to that point where I was going to post it and share it because I think there's a lot of lessons in it that's valuable. However, I will say that you know one of the things that gave me confidence—I don't even say confidence—that that kind of reassured me and, and kind of made me smile was your podcast with Stephen Ronella that you know he was talking about that when he got you know first started going you know they had those hunts that he thought were miserably unsuccessful but yet the producers are like oh no this is awesome and people loved seeing the hardship of the hunt they loved seeing the fact that not every hunt is successful it related to them and so I think that's why you know I'm I am in a happier place if you will about what I put together in this video, how I presented it, 
the fact that, yeah, I shared some, I mean, we got the bull. Let's just, I mean, we got the bull and no, got the bull, got the meat yep. and got everything. Everything was, yep. everything was fine. It, it worked out, but I think it's relatable. Like you said, if you have not come, if you have never been in the situation where you, you made a marginal hit, you just haven't hunted long enough. It will happen at some point. Now, the, the big question is now what? Now what, what are you going to be able to follow through and do what it takes to get it done and, and finish the job? Well, and I, I think watching the video brought up so many questions and comments from myself in, in, you know, things and thinking about situations that I've been in. I've got a couple questions that I want to ask you about the scenario when the bull was coming in, and, and I'm curious to ask to see your answer. Okay. When the bull committed and came through the opening in which you, you knew with the trails and such that he was going to come through, um, he then breaks into more of an opening. He looked like he was slightly downhill from you. He was walking from your left to, or excuse me, from your right to left. And he finally came, he, there was one tree that he had to clear and he finally comes walking in, which is going to make him in the wide open. One question I would have from you from a situational standpoint, at that point, if you would have already been at full draw, what do you think the outcome would have been? Would you have shot earlier or would you have still kind of waited for him to swing? Because no. I yeah. kind of like the quartering away shot that you had. Yeah. But but you would have been able to, if he would have stopped, um, you know, and looked around, you would have been able to zip him if you were at full draw. Give me your thoughts on that. Absolutely. That And, yeah, the answer, quick answer, yes. Even now, when I watch it now, I sit there and beat myself up going, why are you not drawing your bow and why are you not stopping him right there? And you know, I think you know this from cameras, angles, up and down angles, it's hard, unless you're looking lateral to the mountain, it's really hard to really get a feel, you know, a real appreciation of how steep something is. I literally, I might as well have been sitting in a tree stand. That was okay. That was okay. Extremely sharp downhill. I mean, you and that doesn't come out as no. much in the video because of the the uh, probably because of how wide of an angle exactly. it was. It doesn't come out exactly. And and a lot of times with photographs, when you're looking downhill, you just don't appreciate it. So that's why and I, you know, part of my conundrum in that whole situation was the fact that I'm like, why is there no blood trail? I know my shot was you know, entered high. And it had to come out low. And so I'm thinking, you should be just draining blood left and right. But anyway, no, you're absolutely right. I am, There's a lot of people that talk about a quartering away shot. And they like the idea that you can go through more of their lungs and, and more of their chest cavity. However, that there's a fine line on how steep that angle gets. I yeah. truly believe, I, I like a broadside shot. Because if you, I do if you mess up left or right a couple inches you're still going to go through the the heart lungs. You're, you're still going to go through the heart lungs. However, you start putting a, a strong quartering away angle, if you, like me, I don't know how I did it, Jay, I don't know how I did it. Uh, the sun, uh, now, well, let me finish my thought, and then I'll, then I'll kind of take a segue a minute. Right? So a hard quartering away angle if you vary yourself a couple inches, you could significantly affect whether that arrow goes through one lung 
or it hits the liver and then goes out the ba- the far lung. You know what I mean? Just just the way right. the angle is. So right. I would much much rather shoot them broadside. Now in this case, I'm not making excuses. All I all I will say is. I got the camera turned around, and this is the thing when you're doing a solo, uh, you know, you do it yourself, solo, I'm filming myself, I'm hunting myself, I'm doing everything myself, so I got the camera moved around, and the bull steps out and he clears, and so I get the release on the string, hindsight 2020, I should have just drawn that bow. If he saw me, he would have stopped and looked, and it would have been over, but I thought, at that time, I, from what I remember, I thought I will let him just walk by me a little bit just so I'm kind of behind his peripheral vision, and then I'll stop him. Well, when I gave him that chuckle to stop him, he took two or three more steps and turned to go down the hill and then stopped. Well, he was out. Of, he was more out of position than I would have liked. And so, no, hindsight being 2020. I would have just stopped. I would have drawn my bow and and stopped him right down below me to where he was broadside, and I would have just smoked him. And if I had made a bad shot, and I was a couple inches off, it still would have would have double lunged him right then and there. And I don't think he would have died in in the frame. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, okay, and then the next thing is, and obviously you know that it's easy to look back at a video and be an armchair quarterback, but being an armchair quarterback, looking back at the video, okay, so you hit him, he kind of runs quarters down and kind of goes around, and you can just kind of see his head over there in the bushes, and he's standing. I think you put on the screen, that's when you knew something wasn't right. My question for you is, so... In that situation, if you would have absolutely double-lunged him, more than likely when he was over there standing still, he would have been wobbling and then started doing the funky chicken and he would have tumbled over. At the point when you realize that that was not the case, now this is what I'm going to say. I always tell people, because I've had to go through this the hard way, um, no matter what, unless you see the elk fall, you wait a minimum of 30 minutes before you even attempt to go closer, to look for tracks, look for your arrow. And and you may have cut. I don't know how the timing of the scene was. I want to get your take on either this situation or other situations. If you don't see that bull fall in eyesight, how long do you typically wait before you make a move? Absolutely, I agree with you 100%, a minimum of 30 minutes, and I'm telling you, if you haven't been in that situation, 30 minutes might as well be six days. <laughs> I mean, it seems like it's just forever, and so you're like, oh, it's, it's 20, it's 20, it's good enough. No, minimum 30, I actually like to set and say, okay, 45 minutes to an hour, and yes, what? and, and this is a part that I did kind of truncate and cut down. I went down uh, in this video. I shoot. He's standing there. I say, okay, he's been there long enough standing there that something's not right. I'm going to kind of swing around. I'm going to drop down. I'm going to try to get another arrow in him. I'm going to see if I can do something. And so as I go down, um, it doesn't work. He was out of position, blah, 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 blah. I pick up my arrow. I see my arrow. It's covered with bubbles, which most, you know, if, if you've got bubbles on your arrow, you say, okay, lung hit. Well, I did. I waited about 30 minutes a little bit more than that, and then I went down and started following. Here's the other thing that I will say. Blood does not lie. Yeah. 
I had air, I had bubbles on my arrow. Yes, that indicates uh, a lung hit. However, it does not indicate whether I hit a front lung, middle lung, or the tip top of the back edge of a lung. Depending on where you hit a lung is going to. There's a huge variation on what that animal's going to do. If I punch the front of the lungs and I go right around the bronchial tubes and all the arteries that are around there, that bull is going to die within sight. If I hit him mid lungs, just a, you know, just a center punch those lungs, it's away from the heart. He's going to die, and he's going to die pretty quick, but he's going to be able to move a little bit. He's going to move off a little ways. But if you catch the very tip, top, back of those lungs, or worse yet, you catch one lung, oh my gosh, they can go a long way. So my, and, and I, I look at this, and I, and I, I watch this video, I'm like, Chris, you know better. You know, I, I looked at the arrow, I said, I, I thought in my mind's eye, I thought I made a good shot. I, I still, I was like, I saw where the arrow went. It looked to me, it went through both lungs. And so when I found my arrow and it had bubbles on it, in my mind, I'm like, no, it went through both lungs. He should be dead. But when I showed the blood trail, and I'll bet you, you picked up on this. I pick, I pick up on it when I watch the video. I looked at it, I'm like, that's liver blood. It's dark, dark red. Yep, it's a deep, yep. And I was like, that's liver blood. If you see liver blood, just stop. Yep. Just stop. And just give him an hour or two. I'm serious. Because he's if, he, if it's a liver shot, he's going to go a short ways, and he's going to bed down. He's not going to yep. feel good. He's going to be sick. Just give him a couple hours. Even if he doesn't die within those couple hours, he's going to get sti- sick. He's going to get stiffened up. He's not going to feel well. And he's going to be a little bit easier to approach when you do try to follow them up. I think there's a bunch of lessons to be learned, and I think this video is probably going to be one of the most um, talked about and most uh, coveted videos of of the members uh, of the elk module of Real Hunting Resources because there's so many lessons to be learned from this. And I think one of them is you touched on it perfectly. Just because you have bubbles does not mean dead bull. Yeah. What it means is you've hit lungs. You don't know if you have double lung or single lung. If if you double lung them, most of the time they fall within sight. And, and the distance in which it looked like that bull ran and was standing over there, that's long enough for you to say, to think, probably not double lung. Although he could have just walked behind that one tree and, and been laid down there and you wouldn't have known it. Yep. I think people need to... To know this, if you see dark red, that's most all the time liver. If you get bubbles, yes, that's lung, but it doesn't necessarily mean both lungs. Yeah. So a, an elk on one lung can do amazing things. I've seen it. I, I've seen it in rifle situations. I've seen it in in archery situations. And one lung, you're in. You are in for a long road, so you have to be patient. Yeah. Um. I I think. One thing it's important to note in that situation also, let's say that you know that, let's say it's right before dark and you're real questionable about your hit. One of the things that I would say in that same scenario, and you, I want you to weigh in on this, is you have to be very um, careful that when you walk out to go to, to, to camp to leave that bull, say if you have to leave him overnight, in my opinion, you want to walk 
180 degrees the opposite direction the last place you saw the bull. Yep. Because if you don't go directly away from where you saw the bull, you have a chance of jumping that bull up. And I will say from experience of, of just elk hunting with, with friends and, and, and clients and what have you, if you jump a bull up wherever he's hit, your chances of finding him, in my opinion, just dropped at least 50%. Yep. I, I, Jay, I, I, again, man, I agree with you. Um, and in the video, you know, I, I did the follow-up. I walked up. I said, okay, I, I, he was standing here. You see the blood pool. I watched him disappear right around this corner. I'm going to sneak up there. I'm going to see. Well, as soon as I took a couple steps, I can see the bull. He's still on his feet. He's alive. So I try to make a play to, to get another arrow into him. It doesn't work. He spooks, takes off down the hill. At that point, I do. You see me. I cut back, and, and I'm way up on the mountain, and you nailed it. I talk about this. It, it, it's interesting. It's the same exact principle. I talk about this with turkey hunting. I talk about elk hunting. You'll hear people talk about, you know, setting up, calling, getting a response that's close, and then moving forward to get set up or moving left or right to get set up. And I have been caught sometimes. You take two steps forward. You take two steps left or right. And all of a sudden, there might be a, uh, an alley, a, ch- uh, a channel, or a, just a click, just the way the trees line up where, pink, there he is. He might be 100 yards away, but now, bam, he just saw you, and you're busted. The same goes in this situation because they will do squirrely things. And this bull, he did a huge button hook around. And, yeah, if, if you just say, well, I'm out of here, and I just go, if you're not cognizant of how you're getting out of there, you absolutely could either either run into him and bump him or, even worse yet, just have your scent drift over him to where he just picks up and he just sneaks out of there, and then you don't even hear a direction where he goes. We had in 2002, I remember this very, very clearly. In 2002, I was hunting with a buddy down in southern Colorado where it's very, very hot. I mean, we're talking 90-plus degrees in the afternoons. And same situation. Bull came in. We called the bull in. Um, He made a shot. Ended up being pretty much almost identical shot like this one. The bull took off. We tracked it. Could not find it. So we backed out of there, decided to leave. Well, we came back the next morning and we started with a, with a different sunlight, just different light coming through the trees. We stopped right where he had stopped or where he had shot the bull. We're standing there getting a game plan. I look up the hill and I'm like, I don't remember a rock being up there. I put my binoculars up and the bull's just laying there. He, the bull's laying a hundred yards from us, right from where we, where we, where we shot him. He did this huge almost circle and came back. Well, if we hadn't, we, we went a little ways, we tracked him. As soon as we realized we couldn't find him, we were like, we're out. And we just slipped back. We just got out of there and just went and backtracked out the same way we came in. He never even saw us. He stayed there and he died and, and everything was good. But I agree wholeheartedly. When, when you realize that you need to back out, back out 180 degrees from the direct, I mean, just completely opposite of where you think that bull might end up. And in this case, I did. I just climbed, I just got out and I just climbed three quarters of the way up the mountain just to make sure my scent wasn't out there. But here's the other thing that I mentioned, and I don't know if I touched on it enough, but I mentioned in there, part of the other reason why I climbed up the mountain was I wanted to get a a vantage point. 
Because if that animal was still up on his feet and just kind of moseying and just trying to get out of dodge, I wanted to be able to get above that timber and get myself in a spot where I, you know, I'm going to could watch. Yep. I'm just going to sit and watch and make sure he does not leave this patch of timber. If I don't see him leave the patch of timber, then at least I have some sort of semblance of confidence in the morning that he's got to be in there somewhere. So right. that's another thing, too, is I know you talk about glass and, um, you know, with elk where you are, but, you know, for the high country stuff, sometimes, man, getting yourself out of there and in an advantage point and just sit and wait and let things go, you know, come back the next morning, but sit and wait and watch until dark and make sure they don't leave. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely trying to get a bead on direction because direction a lot of times is everything. And I think, uh, you know, and I, I'm giving this advice humbly, trying to, to, to give advice that I've seen through experiences, but I am in no means, you know, some uh, great tracker. I, I do uh, uh, pride myself on trying to be very detail-oriented, and I have in situations where you know, I've I've been asked to come help buddies or what have you try and find elk. I have had pretty good success. One thing I would tell people, and we're getting a little bit off subject, but we're kind of in, in the realm of the subject, is Chris talked about in the video how the bull just through the pine needles just didn't leave any tracks. And that is absolutely at times will baffle you and you will think there's no way the elk came through here. Chris saw the elk go through there and he still couldn't find tracks. So what do you do if you don't find tracks? Okay, so what I do is I always like to go back to last blood and I always like to follow whatever track that I can follow from there. Even if there's a bunch of tracks going every direction, a lot of times I'll try and pick the same size track and try and use the direction that the elk is going and follow that track until I pick up some more sign, blood, uh, you know, where they've been drooling, different stuff that you can you can follow. But I think it's important to make note that when you are following tracks, they, you know, they have to leave a track. They may go through a period 20, 30 yards where you can't see the track, but you will eventually find their tracks. They leave tracks. So a lot of times you have to get on your hands and knees and go one step at a time. Uh, I, I learned uh, there's a guy from uh, Utah, Lynn Hunt, who Kanab, Utah, who uh, is an incredible tracker, has a reputation of an incredible tracker. And one of the things uh, when a friend of mine shot a bull and, and Lynn was camped nearby and we went over and got him. And, and one of the things I learned was was the, the he got on the bull's tracks kind of where uh, before it was hit and kind of got a feel for the stride of the bull. And then as I watched him track, he was kind of knowing where the, the front foot would step, knowing where the back foot, and I would see him kind of with his hands kind of just walking, and he was striding that bull. And it's worked for me several times where you, you kind of get a sense of the bull's stride, and, and you, the tracks don't lie. So you have to get on the tracks, and then a lot of times, once you follow a track for a hundred or couple hundred yards, boom, then you find another drop of blood. Then you bring your GPS over, you know, you've got your last blood. And then, you know, you have to take it slow when you're, when you're um, tracking a wounded animal. You have to take it really slow and you have to be very detail-oriented. And don't let anybody that's helping you get out in front of you and be making circles. There's a time to make grids, like Chris will show in the video, 
uh, there's times for that when when you've exhausted everything else. But if you can always go back to Last Blood and try and get on the tracks, that is your best chance to find a, a, a wounded animal. Yeah, I, I agree, and you know, and I guarantee you have a similar situation uh, where you are. You know, in my situation now, and again, not making excuses, I will say. I am not at that level. I, I've, I'm, I'm with you. I've seen some guys that are just incredible at just, and they're like, nope, there's a track. Well, if you ever hunted Africa and you watch those those trackers out there, I mean, my gosh, they just, uh, they just make you look pathetic. But there are some. It's an art form. I mean, it really is. And there's some. There's. It, I've even watched some guys that they'll just lay. I mean, they'll flat lay on the ground. Just lay on the ground. They're not looking for the track per se. They're just looking at where the needles got pushed up slightly more than they should be. You know what I mean? They're just, I yep. mean, it's just, the other The other thing too is sometimes you're going to get situations where all of a sudden the elk is going to run through areas where it's just littered with tracks. And so in my situation here, I, I, I mean, he went through the pine needles. I, I still, I couldn't believe that I couldn't, I was not able to see, I couldn't, I just couldn't discern anything until and then all of a sudden he got down you know where he went all of a sudden got into an area where i mean my gosh there had been a whole pile of elk piling through there and in fresh tracks so the other thing that i will do me personally and this is not foolproof i will say that right now but if you lose the track See kind of what, you know, look back, and I will mark with toilet paper or whatever, I will mark those spots of blood so that way I can look behind me and I can actually see the the path. Visually, I can see flag, 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 flag of where the blood spots are and where he's traveling. And if he's moving at a decent clip, a lot of times you can just say, okay, that momentum is going to continue in kind of a general manner so I'll turn around, I'll look and say, okay, where is the likely avenue that he went through? You know, sometimes you say, okay, well, there's the trail. Uh, he's been on this trail. The trail continues. He's probably still on the trail. And so right. you might be able to follow it 50, 60, 80 yards or more, and all of a sudden, boink, here's a drop of blood. You may not have had any sign that you were able to discern in that distance, but because it was a continuation of a logical progression, you were able to pick it up. However... That's if the animal is moving at a good clip. Typically, in my experience, if they're moving at a good clip, they will continue that momentum. However, but if all of a sudden you get down to where it's, you know, drop, 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 and they are just walking and standing and walking and standing and walking and standing, don't automatically assume that they're just going to take the, the easy route because that's where I've seen them start wandering and just doing all sorts of squirrely things. You where you're like, why the heck did you just walk through here? You just walked through a blowdown. Why did you walk? You know, but they did. So take note of how the animal is moving, not just where the blood is. Is he moving quickly? Like you talk about the stride. Is he is he, is he have that consistent stride, or is he slowed down? Does it look like he's starting to wander? Does he is it look like he's standing there watching his back trail, figuring out what's going on, and is he adjusting accordingly? Because if and that's the other thing too. If you start following that trail too early, he may be mortally wounded. He might be he he might be a dead bull on you walking. 
But if you start following too quickly and he's up on his feet, he's going to be watching his back trail. And if he detects that something is following his back trail, that's when he starts, they start button hooking around. They start climbing. They start dropping. They start, they start doing all sorts of squirrely things to get themselves in a position where they're out of the line of sight, but they can sit and watch where they just came from and keep tabs on whoever, whatever predator, whether it's me or whether it's a bear or anybody else, is following behind him. And if you're following too soon, you're just going to continually bump, 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 bump that elk, and you'll never even realize you're doing it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, Chris, I want to... I, I want to tell you that that video, like I said, is awesome, and I think you're going to get a lot of great feedback from the video, and I, I really appreciate you posting it. Uh, I know the elk module, the Row Hunting Resources guys, uh, the members are going to love that. Uh, I want to shift focus a little bit um, and talk to you a little bit about uh, Selfish Mew versus the Estrus Scream. I noticed mm -hmm. in the module uh, you talk about that, and we don't have to go into super detail um, but it's interesting. You may have seemed to have changed a bit of your understanding of of those two different calls. Yeah. You know, and I think that's, again, the beauty of videoing everything that we do and going out and just videoing raw behavior, not even in a hunting situation, just videoing and recording vocalizations and behavior repeatedly. Um we started seeing you now for people that don't understand, you'll, you'll hear people talk about the estrus mew, the estrus wine, the estrus scream, estrus whatever. I do not subscribe to that terminology per se. I do not believe there is a specific vocalization that actually relays estrus anything. Now, it doesn't mean that this vocalization exists. You, I, we've got video of it, and there's other people that share video of it. It's not saying that the vocalization, that, that really, meow, that really raspy, loud, long, drawn-out, you know, scream or, or mew that you'll hear people talk about. Yes, cow elk will do that. I just don't think, and I can show you why, but I don't think it has anything to do with asterisk. Now, that's not to say that I don't, I, I'm, I'm not going to criticize anybody that wants to call it that or wants to associate with that because it can abs if a, if Well, a, Chris, let's, let, let's look at it from a perspective of, uh, you know, I think Steve Chappell's got some uh, great video of an elk doing that, and 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 I think uh, Will Primos, I think, is the one that that coined the term estrus estrus scream. Uh, you know, yeah. then it was the Chapel scream, and and I, I, I will be honest, at the time, I I think it was an incredible marketing yes. uh, strategy to say that because who doesn't want to have a call? Yes that mimics the estrus sound. Yes. Now, in everybody's defense, I don't think anybody did anything to try and mislead. Nope. I think it, it, it nope. could be very well argued that it is the estrus sound, but I think you're right in that we hear that sound in other situations that are not even, not even in the breeding period at all. Yes, exactly. So I think that leads me to kind of think what you're saying is it's more of the selfish mew. Yeah. And 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 a, and a cow that really wants attention, well, really is demanding attention for for whatever reason. Exactly, and and we actually even in the uh, on the video there, uh, elk herd on the move, 
there is a large group of cows and calves. They're all moving together. They have a very large, you know, a very mature herd bull right there. And here are these cows doing that vocalization with the bull standing behind them. He isn't even paying two cents of attention to him. And they have no care in the world about this bull. But they stop doing it when? When the calf shows up. And so that's what I started really looking at. I'm like, well, hold on a minute. You know, people were always saying that it's a unique vocalization. And at first, when we when we first started the elk module, I was like, all right, well, I, I can I can go with that. Um, I'll I'll buy into that uh, ideology, if you will, or that idea or theory, if you will. But I don't think it has to do with estrus anything. However, over time, what we started looking at is if you see when they start when they do this vocalization in the situations that they're in, what they're trying to accomplish, who they're communicating with. What the update video talks about is I am not convinced anymore that in fact it is its own particular vocalization. It very well may be just nothing more than an extension of a lost mew that just carries the intensity higher, 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 and higher. So if you look at the progression of vocalizations, you know, you've got the lost mute. Everybody talks about the lost mute, and it's legit. It's, you know, looking for a response. Um, but then, you know, the cows, they can take that lost mute. They can be louder with it. They can drag it out longer. They can add those frustrated whines to it and add that emotion. They can do, you know, long mews. They can stretch it out and really be a little bit, you know, what some people call pleading with it. But yet, when you still continue up that continuum, at some point, you can only get so loud. At some point, you can only drag it out so much. Whereas, if all you do is you add a little bit of a growl to it, you've just increased that intensity. You've increased that. You've you've well increased the intensity, and you've changed that intensity to the utmost level. It really does coincide with everything that a lost mew does. It's just extremely intense. And so that's kind of where I'm starting to think, you know, rethink myself on say, I don't know if it's actually a standalone vocalization. I really do. I'm, I'm think, I'm changing my mind now to where I really do think it's nothing more than an extension of the intensity level of a lost mew. Yeah, that's awesome stuff right there, Chris. Um, I think in our next episode, we're going to talk about getting ready for elk season, trail cameras, uh, using glassing as an effective tactic uh, for hunting elk. I want to talk to you a little bit about some of your targeted strategies. Sure. Um, but, I, but I think we've had a great episode here, and I think people are going to enjoy it. And, uh, you know, um, Chris, I'd like you to uh, uh, tell the listeners – uh, how they can find you uh, and uh, the best way to get a hold of you. Yeah, they can just, you know, the best way to get um, with, the, with the elk module stuff is just go to www.rowhuntingresources.com, just R-O-E, huntingresources.com. Uh, they can also find us on YouTube. We have our YouTube channel that's Row Hunting Resources. We have our Facebook page that's Row Hunting Resources, Instagram, the whole nine yards. But if they want to get in the module, just go to www.rowhuntingresources.com. And like always, you know, for you guys, you, anybody who's listening to this, we, we offer a 20% discount off of it. All you need to do is when you go to sign up, just there's a little spot there that says, you know, if you want to put out a coupon code or a promo code or something like that, just click on that and just, just, J Scott 
podcast, all one word, J Scott podcast, and knocks twenty percent off, and, and away you go. So, and I I think I might add too that um, as extensive as the elk module is. In the spring, I get a real kick out of the turkey module. Uh, I'm not much of a whitetail hunter, but I know that the whitetail portion of the module with the behavioral and all the different uh, stuff is just as extensive. So uh, you have uh, the Row Hunting Resources membership, which is the full membership. I believe it's a one-year membership. Yep. You can correct me. And then uh, they can also sign up for the elk module, the turkey module, and the deer module on their own. Is that correct? That's right. And, and most pe- you're absolutely right. Most people... Um, yeah, if you want it year long, if you just want the full library card, and that's how kind of I, I kind of classify this. Basically, what you're doing for the subscription, it, it just gives you a library card that you can get in there and and look at what what's in there. If you just want the elk stuff, you can just get the elk module. It's three months, and you know it's it, for with with a J Scott podcast discount, it's twenty bucks. I mean, it's pretty cheap. So you can watch it for three months. But if you want everything, you can get the annual subscription. That's 365 days a year. That's that's all year long, and it opens up the turkey module and the the deer module. Now, I will say for everybody, yeah, we've got over 18 hours now of video for elk, but the turkey and the deer are not nearly as big. But there's still really good stuff in there. But you can also, if all you care about in the spring is turkeys, you know, you say you get the elk module now, but you're not, you, you know, in, in this spring, winter, or whatever, you want to get some turkey stuff, yeah. I think that's 15 bucks or something like that. So yeah, you can just, you can log in in three months, just watch the turkey stuff or the deer stuff or whatever you want. So awesome, buddy. Well, um, it's always awesome having you on. We get tons of feedback from, uh, the, the, the three episodes that you've been on, the two, the one turkey and the two, uh, elk episodes, tons and tons of comments and feedback. And, uh, and I know that, uh, people really enjoy, I get, I've gotten emails back from people that have signed up for the row hunting resources modules and, uh, them telling me how thankful they are that I pointed this out to them. And so, you know, kudos to you for the hard work. And, um, I look forward to our next episode. Uh, and, um, it's going to be a great 2015 elk season. And, and the next episode we'll touch on kind of getting prepared for the season and all the different things that you're doing. Um, we're going to talk about trail cameras and glassing. So until then, until then buddy, uh, God bless you, and, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you next time. Absolutely. I appreciate the time that you had me on and uh, look forward to it again. So, yeah, God bless.